Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the third event in the Institute for Government's Labour Fringe programme. Tech for all, tech for good. How can government ensure digital transformation works for everyone? Kindly supported by the Solicitors Regulation Authority. I'm Gavin Freegard, Programme Director for Data and Digital Government at the IFG, and it's wonderful to welcome so many of you virtually to the Virtual Institute. Some virtual housekeeping before we get underway. We are on the record. We'll be live tweeting from at IFG events and you can get involved with hashtag IFG Lab 2020 and also with the main Labour conference hashtag, which is simply Lab 2020. Most importantly, you can submit questions for me to put to our panel using the live Q&A tool in this broadcast. There should be a button which is a speech bubble with a question mark in it somewhere on your screen. Please do ask questions throughout the event, especially since one of our speakers has to leave a little bit early. And do tell us who you are and where you're joining us from. Our sponsors for this event are the Solicitors Regulation Authority, the regulator of solicitors and law firms in England and Wales, protecting consumers and supporting the rule of law remember that, and the administration of justice. The SRA regulates more than 200,000 solicitors and 10,000 law firms, overseeing the education and training requirements necessary to practice as a solicitor, licensing individuals and firms to practice, and setting, regulating, and enforcing compliance against the standards of the profession. So, tech for all, tech for good. How can government ensure digital transformation works for everyone? It seems almost trite to say that the coronavirus crisis has transformed our relationship with technology and brought issues about the use of tech to the fore. Whether it's socialising with our friends, doing our jobs and doing business, accessing services from government and others, including legal services, even attending party conference events, we are living our lives online like never before. Or at least many of us are. Not everyone has access to those opportunities. Not everyone can live and work online in that way. And the A-level fiasco has provided a world-beating example of how algorithmic bias can entrench existing inequalities. So how can we make sure that the digitally excluded are not left behind and that technology does not bake in existing societal and social biases? How can government and regulators guide digital transformation in a responsible way? We've got a fantastic panel to answer those questions and more for you this afternoon. First, we'll be hearing from Chion Moura, the Member of Parliament for Newcastle-upon-Tyne Central since 2010, and Shadow Minister for Science, Research and Digital, shadowing both the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy and the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. She is often known as the only engineer in Parliament. After working in a variety of roles for companies around the world, she was Head of Telecoms Technology for Communications Regulator Ofcom before entering Parliament. After Chi, we'll hear from Tracy Vergro. Tracy has been the Executive Director for Strategy and Innovation at the Solicitors Regulation Authority since March 2020, where she leads the development of the SRA's work on technology and innovation. She has wide experience of regulation, strategy and policy, having held senior roles at the Financial Reporting Council and in the civil service, mainly at the Department for Business, before joining the SRA. Then we'll hear from Ivana Bartoletti, who works, writes and speaks widely on privacy and digital ethics, working with companies in the UK and globally. In May 2018, she launched the Women Leading in AI Network, an international lobby group of women advocating for responsible artificial intelligence. Earlier this year, she published her first book, An Artificial Revolution on Power, Politics and AI. She's also chair of the executive committee of the Fabian Society. 
Last but not least, we'll hear from Noreen Kahn, Chief of Staff to the CEO of Accenture's Government Practice. She's previously held senior roles at Computer Centre and Tech UK, having started her career in the field of equality and human rights. She's the chair of Tech UK's Central Government Council, which represents the views of tech companies to government, and a trustee of the Good Things Foundation, a charity focused on digital inclusion. We really couldn't ask for a more qualified panel for today's event. I'll invite each of our speakers to make an opening contribution of up to five minutes. Then we'll go into questions, some from me and lots I hope from you. Please do use that Q&A tool to submit them throughout the event. Chi has to leave us at quarter past one, so I'll go to her for any final thoughts just before that. Then we'll have another 15 minutes or so with the rest of our panel, concluding at around 1.30. So without any further ado, Chi, over to you. Thank you so much, uh, Gavin, and thanks for that uh, fantastic. Uh, thanks for that fantastic introduction. Um, and I'd also like really like to thank the Institute for Government for organising this event, inviting me, and the Solicitors Regulation Authority for making it possible. Because this is a topic which is very dear to my heart. So, as a chartered engineer, as uh, Gavin mentioned, I built out the networks that became the internet all over the world. Um, in Europe, US, Nigeria, um, and South and Asia. And as a politician, you know, the internet, tech, data, digital government, but most importantly, making making technology empowerment for the many, not the few, has been sort of central to the campaigns that I, and, and, the, and the shadow positions that I've taken. And in some ways, I'm pleased, you know, that this has now got greater, um, um, greater, greater awareness, even though it is because of the terrible pandemic that that has happened. But the coronavirus has shifted many of our services and much of our professional and personal lives online. And as we move, um, as we are in the in the dig COVID digital era with panel events are hosted on teams and exam results decided by misused algorithms and even even questions in parliament being asked via video link who would have thought it uh, digital regulation for the benefit of us all takes on an even greater significance and that's one of the things I'm concerned about is the recent move of the, the government recently moved the responsibility for the use of data from the Depart Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport to the Cabinet Office. Uh, when they moved it only two years ago, they moved it in the other direction in order to have, try to have a more coherent approach to data. And for those of us who believe in the incredible power of data and technology to improve everyone's lives and to improve public services, you know, it throws up some fundamentally profound questions about the directions that we are moving in under the kind of Whitehall power grab of uh, Dominic Cummings. So the pandemic should be making us all think about what digital governance should look like. Local councils being denied localised data has been a source of real frustration uh, for hard-pressed local authority public health teams. And imagine how much different things could have been over these last few months if those closest to the people at risk uh, and in need were actually equipped with the data from across di different agencies and services to service that need. But partially because we did not have a coherent reg regulatory framework for data in the public or private sector, that took months and months to happen. 
So we needed an approach to digital that embraces the unique role of the public sector in treating people as citizens rather than just consumers. And I am tired of hearing that the public sector just has to copy what the private sector is doing. Yeah, government is not Facebook, thank God. Uh, and it also needs to be dedicated to long-term inclusion as well as short-term targets. And it's, I think, true also that we have squandered, squandered a lead that we had in this area with the government digital services, you know, just conceived on, on under Labour and brought into being under the, the Conservative um, and coalition government, which was truly kind of ahead of its time and had resulted in some really great online services such as, you know, DVLA, choosing your pension, checking your pension contributions as well. But again, because we didn't have a coherent framework, a robust regulatory framework for data control and ownership, we have, you know, that has not been consistently followed through even across central government, never mind across local authorities, local government. So I think it I think it's really important that citizens as well as startups, you know, and legislators as well as developers, we understand that technology, the you know, pandemic is exact as has focused us on this, but technology is constantly changing our lives and it will be even more in the future. And the opportunities and challenges that these changes bring is something that government needs to look forward to and set out the right regulatory frameworks for. And one of the things which really saddens me is it, it, it's seven years since I launched Labour's Digital Government Review, which focused on how we put citizens in control of increasingly digital public services, including data and information usage, particularly in the areas of value creation, consent, trust and privacy. It was a, it was a six month long review, came forward with a report. Unfortunately, I was looking at the report recently again, everything there is still relevant because successive governments have failed to address these areas, successive conservative governments. It's important that we get the principles right rather than just getting all excited you know about the latest technology uh, blockchain or or, yeah, or uh, whatever um, whatever catches Boris Johnson's eye yeah, we need to have a, a, a deep dive into what the issues are and establish principles and that's why you know labor have now we just this month or last month August launched our digital our digital future consultation and I'll put the the link in the chat you know it's really it's a, we we look forward to contributions from for everyone we just have that debate and discussion and establish principles and some reason though we obviously have i have quite strong views on what those principles should be around um shared you know digital rights and, pub, and public trust but the important thing is to have the debate and to have the principles and so that we have some kind of you know regulatory not certainty but but understanding and to, to make the most of digital digital transformation, we have to ensure public trust. Uh, just absolutely key. And I'm afraid we've we've already um, before COVID there was talk of the tech lash. And unfortunately, I would say COVID has not increased, and we see this in the level of disinformation and misinformation again, which the government is not addressing, has not increased the public's uh, trust in, in in technology or public services. Labour has been absolutely clear that we need a digital bill of rights and a legal duty of care to give more powers and protections back to consumers with new rules to protect our democracy from subversion online. We've seen successive governments you know, 
it's absolutely essential to build public trust by having an open debate and taking back control mustn't mean a Downing Street data grab. Public data must be a public good. And we must discover how government can best use technology to work for the public good. And, you know, Gavin, you talked about the digital exclusion and that 10% of people who aren't online, who are excluded. There are many, there are more who are excluded from a lack of skills and a lack of understanding and a lack of access to access to digital training. And that is something that we need to we, we need to ensure that people can retrain. And our Shadow Chancellor is talking today about about that. But we want to ensure that people can retrain to have the skills for the digital era for the fourth industrial revolution and into so that we have public services which are tailored to people using people's data in a way which is controlled by people as data becomes you know is one of the most sought after commodities driving new business models it's essential that citizens feel that they are in control of it and um, just one of the reasons why I am not um, using a uh, background as uh, some of the other speakers I see are is we just saw um, over the weekend there's been debate online about the, the, the not Microsoft Teams but the Zoom algorithm for enabling background uh, enabling backgrounds and how it is biased towards those with white skin as opposed to the, rather than those with darker skin in terms of enabling it. And so the algorithm, you know, and again over the summer we saw the, we saw the, we, we saw uh, the, the consequences of algorithms being used in the public sector in a way which I felt was a, was a basic misuse. But we need to have a, you know, I've asked a number of times for a, a register of algorithms which are being used by by government and I've been told that it's not it's up to every department it's not necessary algorithms are just you know processes it you know, these are tools of incredible power and until we we show that we believe that that power needs to be accountable uh, I'm afraid we are just waiting for the next scandal to happen so to go COVID-19 could be a you know, point of inflection for the advancement of digital government governance. Uh, we will be seeing the online harms bill, hopefully, which is long awaited from government soon. I hope that they will see from the impact of the pandemic, the need to set out strong regulatory, a robust regulatory framework uh, with to protect our rights, take advantage of technology advancements for all in both the public and the private domain. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. A huge amount of ground there, everything from misinformation to algorithms to digital exclusion. Lots of topics for people to ask questions about, so please do use uh, the Q&A tool uh, on your screen. Um, Next, I'll hand over to Tracy. Well, thank you, Gavin, and thank you, Chief, for that amazing um, introduction. Um, I, I just wanted to say, uh, first of all, thank you very much for uh, putting this topic out there for a discussion today, because I absolutely think it's critical and crucial. Where I'm speaking from, the Solicitors Regulation Authority, it's vital for us. Uh, people know and talk quite a lot about fintech, perhaps less so about the law tech. Um, and we're conscious that uh, all the things Chief just outlined are very important for us. How do you use tech in the public? Public interest? How do we as a regulator think about how we stimulate innovation and the uptake of law tech uh, by us being mindful of protecting the, uh, the citizen, the consumer? People don't talk about enough about the consumer in relation to digital services. 
Um, and how are we making sure that those we regulate, the regulated community um, of, of, of solicitors, are acting in ways that are ethical, um, that things like the algorithms that may or may not apply in the sector are meeting the standards that people would expect. So it's exciting times. Um, I completely agree that the COVID pandemic, um, sad though it has been for so many aspects of our life, probably has stimulated innovation at a faster pace in some ways. Um, and that for us has thrown up some very interesting issues around uh, how do we as a regulator uh, make clear what is and isn't acceptable. How are we working with the sector early enough to avoid something happening that's then a problem, whilst also stimulating and directing and helping uh, as things develop? Everybody knows there's a digital divide. I'm always reminding people there's also an access to justice issue in the UK. Many, many citizens are not able uh, wouldn't even begin to think about how they could access uh, legal uh, advice. And so for us, the two go together. If we can do more to ensure that access to justice can be enabled and helped by innovation and technology, that's a good thing. Again, mindful that there may be a double whammy if the people who were still uh, not accessing tech are not the ones accessing um, um, uh, justice either. That's never a position we would want to be in. Um, so we want to think of ourselves at the forefront of regulation. The issues that are very much on our list are about uh, what kind of access is, is good access. We run something called the Legal Access Challenge, and I don't know if you noticed, uh, but a couple of the winners were very interesting. One was in the field of domestic abuse, which again has sadly increased during the COVID lockdown. Um, and it was about a, um, a means of accessing um, help uh, through an app. So instead of uh, struggling with the very, very immediate impact that domestic violence can have, you, you had a means to get help locally very quickly through an app on your phone. We were very proud that well, that was one of our winners and equally proud that the other one was an association with MenCap about accessing mental health need. Again, very important brought in to start relief during the uh, COVID pandemic, just how much people wrestle with that and how little advice there is available and how patchy that can be across the country. So we've got some very live examples of how um, technology and innovation is helping. We see as a public sector uh, body, as a regulator, as someone who's here in the public interest, we have to be mindful of embracing tech, but very much appropriately and to protect people as well. Um, so uh, I wanted to just flag very quickly because I, I know we're going to run out of time. It's a fantastic programme. Um, just some of the things that we're looking at as to do next. So we are very, very mindful that we want to get our uh, SRA Innovate space really working ever harder for people. Um, the idea of sandboxes, the idea of brokering uh, tech investors and tech providers, new ideas, harnessing, giving a, a, a sort of a off, uh, a, an early uh, uh, sort of judgment of how we as a regulator might or might not be able to uh, approve something, trying to get involved at the early stages of tech, trying to learn from other sectors of professional services, trying to look uh, very taken with what she said about government digital. You know, how do we all as citizens know digital is working for us in relation to public services? And, and shouldn't government actually be talking to more bodies like regulators and ensuring we get 
getting it right first time rather than having a problem, sadly, like the one we saw with Ofqual. Um, there's no good blame gaming people, is there? We should never get in a position where people can't be absolutely certain that something like that has been tested to destruction. Um, we also want to really understand um, the difference between young and old. We did an event with age concern um, and actually I was very uh, reassured that many people have got access to kit and an iPad's been transformational for many people in how they've operated. But equally, it sums down to sometimes people do not have the ability. When seven people are homeschooling on a mobile phone, that's simply not good enough. So it's again, it's about making sure people have got the tools, not just the skill set. And I think we've often talked about one or the other. And again, from a government policy perspective and for us as regulators, we need to make sure we're dealing with all of those things in parallel. You don't want to solve one problem to only have a bigger problem elsewhere. We're very mindful of that as a, as a regulator. Um, and, you know, I want to see the profession. Many people say law is um, a quite a traditional profession. Um, it's certainly we've not seen law tech take off at quite the pace that fintech did. Um, why is that? What are the barriers? Is there anything we as a regulator should be doing? Um, what more signals could we be making? Could I be working more closely with the likes of um, government digital service? How do you get to work with that kind of service? You know, it doesn't seem very welcoming of bigger national solutions. My background is as a Department of Business civil servant, um, and I still don't see the Department of Business necessarily doing as much as they could either in this sphere. I think government needs to join up its digital and innovation approach because I think they really do go together. So, so they were some of the thoughts I wanted to kick off. I'm really looking forward to questions and, and delighted to be part of such a great panel. So thank you for that. Tracy, thank you very much indeed. And uh, Tracy said she's looking forward to questions. Please do submit them via the Q&A tool and I will put them to the panel later. Uh, next, uh, I'm handing over to Ivana. Thank you so much for, for, for this and for the opportunity to share some, some of my thoughts around uh, um, uh, particularly interesting times that we're going through from a sort of tech policy perspective. So I just want to make some sort of very short remarks um, and, and then I hope that in the discussion some of them will be picked up and we can discuss it further. Um, so the first thing that I wanted to say that I just wanted to start with the what we've realised I think as citizens in the COVID time. I think there's one thing that a, that so it's really emerged in, in during this pandemic is really emerging is how interconnected we all are as citizens and how there is nothing more valuable from uh, a citizen's perspective, from a public uh, perspective, than the value of personal data. Uh, and to an extent, I go even further, but there is nothing more um, public there's no, nothing more than the value of some very personal information. And that is because this, this uh, pandemic has really shown, a, shown us how interconnected um, we are. And if I have COVID and the other person doesn't know, then I could pass it on to them. But at the same time, during all this, when we've realised the interconnection, we've also realised that um, people are lacking trust at the moment. Um, when the, we've had all the discussions around the, the, um, the contact tracing app, um, interestingly so, well, it, uh, we've been, we've been um, I would say, you know, what worried me a little bit about that time was that we were listening more to cryptographers than to uh, the epidemiologists. And to an extent, you know, what we've been through is this, uh, people have been have, have witnessed the, the Cambridge Analytica. They know that if research data can become data for online manipulation, then why not? Why can't COVID data today become manipulation data or advertising data tomorrow? 
that element of trust that we've been discussing a lot over the last few few, few months and that she um, so brilliantly uh, uh, talked about is crucial because we need trust. You know, we really need that that trust. And it's very we have a sort of crossroads at the moment because technology is really progressing at rapid speed in both public and private sector. When this is happening, because obviously COVID has accelerated all this, with sadly not too many checks and controls at the moment. And we are building on the trends that were, you know, we had and we were witnessing way before COVID. And the trends that we're building on are the trends of surveillance and the trends of datification. And those are the trends that have been underpinning the digital ecosystem for quite a long time. And therefore, we're building on this at the time where we are speeding up this innovation. Um, and I am a huge fan of technology. You know, I love it so much that I want it to really work for everybody. And I'm really pretty aware, like we all are, that the digital dividends have not been distributed fairly over the, 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 the last decades. So the, the key thing is, uh, my view says the sort of the trust that we need to build is the fact that we're building on the data, the, the trends that we we had seen before. So the surveillance trends, the datafication tests, everything um, had to sort of turn into into data with what some somebody's calls you know the techno chauvinism, the idea that something has to something done does digitally from a technical standpoint has to be necessarily better. Um, the key thing, in my view, is, is how we move forward now. I think 2020 has been the year where the general public has woken up to the, to, to, to the, to the, to the, um, the issue of the politics of data. And this is happening because of different reasons. As I mentioned, COVID and the fact that people have realised how interconnected we all are. And the second thing is the A-level fiasco that we mentioned, where people have realised that data is nothing but neutral. The data is not neutral, data is a picture of society as it is and therefore represents entrenched inequalities and, and the, the sort of uh, digital structure, then so the social structures of society. Um, but also people have realised they might be something else and this is probably because of, of, of the Black Lives Matter movement in the US and, and, and across the world. People have realised that we can have the perfect algorithm but that doesn't mean that we need to use it. We can have the perfect technology and that doesn't mean that we need to use it. And a clear example in my view of all this is, is around um, um, surveillance and, and facial recognition. You know, one of the criticisms that people make of facial recognition is they say it's, it's, it's biased. It doesn't work with black faces. Yes, but even if we create the perfect algorithm that works and recognises everybody perfectly, would we still want to be watched? Would we still want to be surveilled? And also, aren't we sure that the use of that technology itself wouldn't be biased? Aren't we sure that that technology could be used to wrap surveillance around segments of societies and more vulnerable people? The Why am I saying this? Because I think people are waking up to two things. First is that algorithms can replicate bias and technology can really automate and scale up the, the inequalities that we have in societies and that for many different reasons, including because data is, is not neutral at all. But we've also realised something else and that is that technology in itself is is not um, can be used for for the wrong thing, even if it's 
built in the most perfect way. And the way I always say this is a technological fix is not going to be enough. What we need to discuss is, is as a society and the agreement that we need to have is what are we going to use technology for? What are we trying to achieve? When we say technology for the common good, you know, what we need to look is not just how the technology built, but what technology we're going to build in the first place. And that leads me to the last point I want to make, which is around the regulation. Now, I think when it comes to regulating this 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 world, it's not an easy task. And I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable when people say we've got to regulate. Hold on a moment. We don't want to rush it. I think there is a key issue around, first of all, does current legislation work? Is that enough? Is anti-discrimination law enough for discrimination caused by algorithms? Legislation that we've got at the time, at the moment, in terms of, of liability, is it does it suffice? Is it, it can can it cope with with uh, with uh, the age of algorithms? Um, the privacy legislation is that enough? Um, the issue, for example, of data which is inferred about individuals, the the, the really narrow gap and, and the narrow the blurred line between what is private data and, and personal data, but what is special categories of data, you know, which is very sensitive information about individuals. Is privacy, privacy law enough to, to, to cope with all this? The GDPR that we all know is, is, is a good step, but it's probably not enough in the age we live in. So privacy legislation, human rights law, uh, anti-discrimination laws, are they enough? Consumer law, are they enough to grasp and to really deal with the with the with the challenges of algorithmic, for example, decision making, I have my own doubts, especially around anti-discrimination legislation. So we need that fitness test to be performed, and where we identify the gaps, we need to intervene. And that's the first thing. The second thing, in my view, is that we need redress. When somebody is subject to a decision, which is wrong, but that decision is made by a machine. Where does their redress happen? Do you know what with the A level fiasco, A levels fiasco, it was a fiasco, but something did happen because we knew that a decision was made by an algorithm. The problem will happen when public sector, private sector, when they will embed automated decisions without people knowing that a decision has been made by a machine. This is the problem that I see happening, especially around things like predictive policing, things like um, assignment of, of housing, those things that can, you know, predictive policing to me is a huge worry. Because predictive policing for me is like self-fulfilling privacies, you know, it's, 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 it's really, um, it's something that we should treat with great care. So the thing is, redress for citizens. So where is the redress going to happen? And then in terms of, of those algorithms, used to make decisions, used to make decisions in the most important areas of life, housing, education, um, and in, in the, in the um, justice system. Why don't we have a licensing agency? Why don't we have something that, that really takes the burden away from the individual and places onto somebody else? Do you know why you think that? Because when we go on the plane, we don't open the engine on a plane to see how it works. We trust that somebody has done the due diligence on the plane, and we trust that somebody has checked that the plane is fit for purpose. Do we? Why don't we do the same with those tools that are so important for people's life because it could change it?
If I get or not a housing or not, that changes my life. If I get a loan or not, that changes my life. Those areas, they do require, I think, something stronger, a licensing agency, a trademark, a fairness mark, something I think that reassures people because we don't, what we don't want to do is that I don't want to have the burden to decide if an algorithm is fit, fit for purpose or not. And I'm going to close on this because I think it's really important. One thing that I do not like about the, the current model of privacy that we have is that we have too many privacy notices and people never read them because they're too complicated. The consent model does not work. What we need in the algorithmic system is exactly the same thing. We need things that when they're so life-changing, when they're so life-impacting, we need somebody to look at these systems before they're rolled out and define whether they are ready or not to be deployed in, in the public sector and private sector. That's it for me. Ivana, thank you very much indeed. Um, before we go to questions, we've got a couple of great questions already. Noreen, over to you. Hi, Gavin. I was um, I was slightly worried that we might be repeating each other and on the talk today, but clearly you've, you've really done a great job in um, putting together a very diverse panel. I think I think we're all coming at it from a from a very different perspective. So I would add my thank you for for getting us together and for hosting this um this important discussion. Um, as I was thinking about the exam question you set us um and some of the events that happened over the weekend, so the, the sad death of um Justice. Ginsburg um, and reflecting on what we're talking about. Um, if you were if you were following social media, there were a lot of quotes that were being circulated, um, RBG quotes, um, and one that really struck me, and I'm going to read it out, um, was women belong in all places where decisions are being made. So here we are today on a panel um, where the speakers are female and the facilitator is um, a male. Yay for that. Um, we're clearly in a in a different chapter um, to you know to the place where RBG started, um, and and I think we should we should repurpose that quote actually, um, her quote for our discussion today, and and I I would say let's let's use this instead. Let's and I'm going to read this out. So let's think about what can we do to ensure full representation wherever decisions are being made, and what do I mean by full representation? Um, you know, let's think about the people um, and the demographic that, that we're serving. Um, and we need people in the room that are representative. Now, considering how long it's taken us to get to where we've got to with gender equality, and, and we're, by no, we're, you know, we're by no means there, um, but you know, considering how long that has taken, um, it, it's going to take us a, a while to get the right people um, in the right room when it comes to total representation. Um, and I want to give you an example of um, from the Good Things Foundation, right? and we published a report last week, which I, can, I would like to the, to the chat, which 